Well, again, good to be with you. I hope you had a good uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, so you can go ahead and turn there if you have a Bible there with you. Um, And we'll be in, again, Colossians 3. So Colossians 3 is actually the, the the very, very first sermon I ever preached. I was... Eight, I was eight, 18 years old uh, on a missions trip, and my, my youth pastor at the time, as I graduated, um, I used to sing. I, I don't really care to lead music anymore at all, so that's why I stood back there, <laughs> just, just stand over there and sing. Um, but uh, I, I used to sing a good bit in high school, and um, my youth pastor, obviously he was the main speaker in our youth group and those kind of things. And so we kind of had a deal that if I was going to preach, he would have to sing. And so sure, he actually, I was like thinking he wouldn't do this. You know, I'm like, he won't do this. And sure enough, he sang on that trip. We sang like a, a, a nice little gospel trio. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and then I preached a message on uh, this passage we're going to look at. We're going to look at it uh, together. So Colossians uh, chapter 3. Let me just let me just ask you: How many of you have just ha- had one of those days? You know, when, when someone says like one of those days, do you know what we're referring to? Like, it's just one of those days. Like, everything seems to like go the wrong way, or you know, it's like Murphy's law: everything that's gonna happen is or, like is like everything bad that's gonna happen is gonna happen, right? Like, it's just it's just the way it works. Um, well, I had one of those days uh, really recently. Actually, it was uh, called Friday. <laughs> And, uh, you know, it's, of course, it's the day after Thanksgiving. I mean, Thanksgiving's a, a great day filled with joy, right? Uh, around, I mean, I remember seeing some people uh, some on Twitter, some different polls and those kind of things. People were saying, was like, how many are you looking forward to being with your family and, like, fearful of the topic of politics and COVID and those conversations at a table? It was pretty high on the list of people, like, not really looking forward to the conversations around the Thanksgiving table. But thankfully, at our, in my house, Thanksgiving Day itself was was okay. Like there was no crazy, crazy drama. It was just kind of a little bit relaxed, as relaxed can be in our house at least. Um, but then Friday came. <laughs> Friday. Friday was just tough. It was one of those days. It's just tough. Um, and we were in Charlotte with family, my parents. Um, and to give you a picture just real quick. So when we go to my parents and stay, if we stay with them, um, they have one bathroom. That's it. Like there's one bathroom for the whole house. That's what I grew up in. It's the house I grew up in uh, from birth all the way up till still to this day. And so it's like, you know, we come in, there's a bunch of us and then there's one bathroom and then when everyone comes over. So there's already this, like that. I don't know if that adds stress in your life that there's one bathroom or not. I don't know, but it doesn't necessarily add stress necessarily, but it's just one of those pieces. And then just in general, if you're not in your own bed there for a while, you're like, all right. And everyone starts getting a little grumpy. You're like, okay, it's been a little too long. Time to go home. And so it was, it was, as Amanda would say, it was time. (laughs) It's time. She'll say that to me every once in a while. I'm like, it's time. I think it's time. It's time to put the kids to bed. It's time to leave. (laughs) All those kind of things. And it was just, I think this time though, I was the one who said, it's time. (laughs) I'm like, I've I've had it. And so, and this is not against my family because they'll probably listen to this podcast or something. So I love you guys. Uh, um, But uh, it was just one of those days. And then it's like, okay, it's just been stressful. Uh, Our daughter had been a real big handful. And then um, you're just like, it's just easier at home. Can we just get home and just experience some great peace <laughs> in relaxation? And so it's like, let's just go. And so we pack up our stuff. We leave. I don't know what time it was. We were hoping to get back to town. And then we stop at a gas station. And then a very series of unfortunate events at that gas station led to somehow our, 
our car would not start <laughs> in this gas station. And I just remember grabbing this. Amanda wasn't even here yet. She was in the, uh, inside. And I was just sitting at the steering wheel, just gripping it as tight as I could. My knuckles probably were super white. And it was just anger. I was just angry. My day has just continued to get worse. And I was just sitting there and just frustration. It wasn't like, hey, let's offer a, a Hail Mary type of prayer of like, God, will you just like magically make this uh, work right now so that I cannot be so upset? It was like, no, I'm going to let you stew in your upsetness for a bit. And so I'm just, just so frustrated. You're like, can this day just end and tomorrow be a better day? And, but first I got to get home <laughs> to make that a better day. And so Amanda comes, I'm like, She's looking at me like, what in the world's wrong with you? <laughs> Why are you red-faced and angry? And I'm like, the car won't start. And it's like, seriously. And so then, of course, my wife, being a much more spiritual person me, is like, why don't we pray? I'm like, you pray. I'm not praying right now. I'm just not in the right <laughs> mental place. Uh, so she prays. And, um, and then I talked to a guy. And anyways, I don't know. Thankfully, we got home. And I just wanted to just sit at home and not have to do anything. I don't know if you've experienced those kind of days, but it's, it's really, really hard to be thankful <laughs> when nothing seems to go your way. So today's message is only for me. <laughs> if you get something from this, great. But this is, this is God doing a work in my heart over the past few days. Uh, and so hopefully it'll be a benefit to you. So Colossians chapter 3 is what we're going to uh, look at today. We're just really going to look at this, a, a really a great passage of scripture. Like I said, this is the very first sermon I ever preached. I probably did it in 10 minutes and was terrified and thought it was the longest 10 minutes of my entire life. Now it's like, Eric, stop talking and just finish the message sometimes. So uh, Colossians chapter 3. Um, and so kind of to set up the context, Colossians is a great book. It's a, a, a wonderful study. I've been able to preach through this, this book a couple times already in my life with students and I uh, look forward to one day preaching through this, this great, unbelievable, great book of scripture. And, but in it, we see the first two chapters are just Christological. I mean, it's Paul just saying how awesome God is, his preeminence, his power, his majesty, his might, his deserving of our worship. And then really Colossians 3, this whole chapter is really an excellent read and study as well because Colossians 3 is this, this great picture of putting on or putting off. So you put off this old nature, put off these sins. He lists out some of these sins and then put on these things. Uh, and he's really saying like as a follower of Jesus, we're to put to death these sinful lifestyles and to put on certain attributes. And the greatest being, we see it in verse 14. So we'll just pick up there. The greatest being love. Verse 14. So chapter three, verse 14. He says, and above all these. So he's been, he's been saying, hey, put off these things in light of who Christ is and what he has done. Here, put off the sinful behaviors, but put on these things as chosen holy ones in verse 12. All these different attributes. When he says, he sums it up, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And then he says this. I think this is such a great picture. And then he gives an illustration of this in the, the, the relationship in a home. Uh, but look at verse 15. He says this. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, notice, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. If 
Have you ever, I don't know, for, for those of you that, you know, you've, you bought a new car or you bought a used car or whatever, you buy a car, right? What, do you, what is the first thing you notice over the next few weeks of driving? Everyone has your car, right? <laughs> like, all of a sudden, you're like, I've got my, you know, I've got my uh, Honda Accord, and you're driving your Honda Accord, and you're like, man, there's a Honda Accord. Maybe it's not in the Subaru family. I'm not sure. Is there a lot of Subarus out there? Yeah, see, I don't notice them, but you guys notice them because you drive Subarus. Uh, and so all of a sudden you get a new car and you just kind of notice it everywhere. It's like, man, everyone has a Honda Odyssey, which I think is actually true. Like, literally, it seems like every mom has a Honda, Honda Odyssey. Um, but uh, what you'll see is as you read, and I want to encourage you to do, the, do this sometime. You know, there's, there's different times when I read scripture, I want to read it uh, for big picture, right? You're just kind of reading fast. You're kind of reading through scripture. Just wanted to inundate yourself in scripture. And sometimes you're studying very detailed. Maybe you're going to study like a chapter and you're going to read that chapter over and over again over, the, over a week or maybe a, like epistles. You can easily do that. It's like you can read Colossians once a day for a week and just kind of sit in it for a little bit. Um, if you read Paul's writings. If you read the epistles, you read the pastoral epistles, if you read the general epistles, you read writings from Paul. One thing you'll, that'll stand out to you like a, when you buy a car and you're looking around like everyone drives that car is, the, is thankfulness. You, it stands out off the page. Over and over again, you see him praying his thanks to God and his th- he'll be praying a prayer and he'll say, man, I thank God for you. I thank you for your, your ministry. I thank you that you're offering prayers for me. You just see, it's a man who is very, very thankful. And I want to pick up on a few things. So here's a few things on thankfulness. Just the focus, because you see that, that word in each of these verses, thankful in verse 15. You see thankful in verse uh, 16, and you see thankful in verse 17. So the first one we're going to look at is this. As the peace, so this is the first point. As the peace of Christ rules in your heart, our hearts, we are to be thankful. So as the peace of Christ rules in our hearts... We are to be thankful. You see, this peace, though, is really, it's really extraordinary. This peace, it, it comes, notice this, it comes from Christ. It's not manufactured or a feeling of serenity. It is given. It is, and it only comes in relationship with Christ. I want, notice this. If you've, if you've read John or before, I, mean, I love, love the book of John. John 14, 27, Jesus said this. He says, Peace I leave I give leave with you my peace I give you I do not give it to, uh, to you as the world gives it's a different kind of peace he's saying I give you I offer you peace um it, it maybe I hope I hope that you've all experienced this um when I was 17 years old I mentioned um being 18 and preaching for the first time. So 17, I was 17. I grew up in a Christian home. Some of you have heard that my testimony. I'm not going to give you the, the short version here. But when I was 17, I was, I really think I was far from God. Uh, I wouldn't have looked like it. Like most people would look at me and think, I mean, I was the chaplain of my class. They thought I, I mean, I thought I was the spiritual one. And I'm like, I knew my heart. I knew that I didn't have peace. I struggled with peace. My whole, my whole life was marked with fear. Um, I would, I mean, I don't know how many of you have done this before, if you grew up in a Christian home or grew up hearing about the gospel, but I remember, man, every, any time a pastor preached a convicting message and he's asking people to, to bow your heads and close your eyes and, uh, you know, if you want to give your life to the Lord today, pray this prayer after me. And I'd be like, he'd say, dear Lord, I'd be like, dear Lord. <laughs> and I would go through and I would pray this this what we call sinner, what you've probably heard, sinner's prayer. And I would pray, I've probably prayed that, I don't know how many times I've prayed that during those years, from, from like five to, to 16 or 17. I prayed that 
maybe hundreds of times. Um, because, but I was never getting peace. I, I didn't have peace. I, ha- I was actually marked with fear. I would lay in bed at night, and I think I've told you this before, I would lay in bed at night terrified of death. I'm like, I'm, I'm 12. Like, who's terrified of death at 12? Who's even thinking about these things? But I was thinking about them because I, I did hear the gospel, and I think I understood the gospel, and I really did believe there was a hell, and I believed there was a heaven, but I didn't have peace. I did not experience this peace because I was trying to manufacture it. I was trying to create my own peace by doing certain things. It's like, oh man, I've, I've sinned this week. Oh man, I'm, I messed up. And so I'd be like, God, I mean, you're going to wreck my weekend, right? <laughs> you're going to bring some havoc to my life because I've been, I've been bad, right? Like I've been sinful. And so all I was doing was, was I was trying to keep this relationship with God as like a master and I'm like a little servant and I'm just trying to appease him, keeping him from whipping me. And that was, that was my life. And so I just never had peace. And I was 17. 17, I've heard the gospel my whole life. I was just finally just picked up my own Bible and started reading. And I was, I, I was not a reader at the time. I hated reading. I actually despised it. My English teacher, so I ended up teaching English just for like a, a season of my life. If my, if my English teacher knew that, she'd be like, those poor students, why would you ever be teaching English uh, to, I mean, she's like, you barely made it out of English class. And, and, uh, and, and so because um, I, I hated reading. I didn't like grammar. I didn't like any of it. It was just like, I didn't really like school. I just like sports. So it was like, can we just, whatever gets me enough of a GPA to be able to play in the baseball game later today. That's all I cared about. And so <clears throat> um, I didn't really love reading, but all of a sudden God was kind of, he was just, I, looking back now, God was doing a work in my heart that I didn't even know that was, that was going on at the time. Um, God brought in this youth pastor. He was new to our church and he just was, he seemed to care, and he just had it. It was a different tone to his message than I had ever heard. And as he's speaking, I just started thinking. I was I was listening to him as he was preaching, and I was starting to pick up on some things. And he had just come, like he came in the middle of my junior year. I was seventeen already, and I just started listening. And man, it just kind of got me to where I was like, man, I probably should just start read my Bible again. And so picked up my Bible. hadn't really read it much besides what I had to or memorize a verse for school or something. And I started reading scripture and. God began to just break me down to build me up. And in breaking me down, I started to see that my sinfulness wasn't, it was, it was, all my goodness wasn't good enough. That I was never going to be actually good enough. Like I couldn't, I couldn't earn my way into, into being accepted by God. And all of a sudden I'm reading Ephesians and I'm, I'm starting to read these passages of scripture. And God was saying, it's not about you, Eric. And I, re- I read a book literally titled, I was reading a book. And this, I don't know how many people I've ever actually told this to. Um, I was reading a book called, It's Not About Me. Uh, I don't even remember the author, but it was, it was not about me. And I was reading this book. I'm like, man, and I was actually reading it and liking it. I'm like, I hated reading. I'm like, this is crazy. Why do I like reading this? But it was God doing this work in my heart. And what happened when I, when I truly surrendered my life and said, okay, God, all I have is yours. Thank you for, and I cried out for salvation. I said, God, save my soul. In that moment, I can't say that there was like this, like, whew, this magical peace that just overwhelmed me. But definitely from that day on, something changed in my life. The direction of my life changed. Everything about my life changed. My heart changed. My fear, my fears began to be broken down and, and removed. And because this is a peace that only comes from God. But notice what he says specifically in this passage. It's not just this peace. Yes, it is a peace, but notice what he says. Look back at it, verse 15. And let the peace, notice this, the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule rule in your hearts. 
what does it what does that mean exactly? Like, what does it mean to let Christ this Christ this peace that is from Christ is His that He gives? Here's the active part. How do I let it rule in my life? How do I experience this? Um, there's a great theologian and, and commentator, F.F. F. Bruce, who I think explained this really well. And he said, let the, pre, the, the peace of Christ be umpire, because I like baseball, so it was an easy illustration for me. Like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You know, all of a sudden, it's like you just changed a word, and all of a sudden it makes sense. Like, you didn't even change anything else. He says, let, but he says this, let the peace of Christ be umpire in your heart amidst the conflicts of life. Let it decide what is right. Let it be your counselor. It's like an arbitrator. Let Christ's peace in your life be the deciding factor when faced with conflict and with difficulty. Let it rule. Let it come through. You know what I was not doing Friday? (laughs) was letting peace rule. It was like, no, I want to be angry in this moment. Like, I want to pout for a bit. Is it okay if I just pout for a while? Can I just be really angry and no one judge me for a few minutes, right? Like, that's what I felt like holding onto that steering wheel with every, I'm like, surely this thing is going to break eventually if I squeeze hard enough. I was just that angry. In that moment, Christ's peace was not ruling. It was just frustration and anger. So when we're faced with conflicts, when we're faced with decisions, when we're faced with life choices, those things, we let his peace rule. Here's how that works in relationships, right? I mean, we're, um, Paul also says that we're to pursue the, the unity of peace or the, or the bond of peace. We're to, to, this is something that we're to pursue in a church, in community, is, is unity. Well, how does unity happen? It comes when there's peacemakers, right? Like if two people are just confrontational, eventually someone has to be a peacemaker or it's just going to be constant, just like two goats just nailing each other in the head over and over again, right? Like someone has to be a peacemaker. Someone has to choose to let it be the arbitrator, to let it be the umpire saying, no, you shouldn't do this. Let peace reign in this situation. And we're to do this all, notice what he's saying here. We do this all with thanksgiving. But here's the, the connection, the connection between peace and, thanks, and thankfulness. You see, a thankful heart produces peace. A thankful heart produces peace. Anxiety and greed, what does it bring? It brings war. It brings division. It brings um, conflict, right? So when you're greedy for something, you're choosing not to be thankful, you're not thankful for what you have. You're wanting something that doesn't belong to you. It's not I mean it's it's good to pursue something, right? Like if you're tired, it's good to to want to sleep. Like it's okay. Like you're exhausted, you're tired. It's okay to desire sleep. It's okay when you're hungry to desire food. But what can happen, right? Any of those things can be unhealthy when we pursue those things in the wrong way. And oftentimes that's what happens right? with with, uh, um, uh, with greed, and we're going to talk about that in a second with some of the practical considerations, but here's what we choose. We choose, as Christ gives us this peace, and as we experience this thankfulness, we see how they go back and forth. Thankfulness produces peace, and peace also produces a thankfulness, and it, and it works back and forth in that way. Um, but look at the second one. Look at the verse 16. So not only... Um, do, should peace be ruling in our hearts and that being uh, bringing us thankful, a thankful heart. But notice this next one. As the word of Christ dwells in us, so as the word of Christ dwells in us, we are to be thankful. Look at verse 16. 
It says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You see, again, as the word of Christ dwells in us, we're to be, we're to be thankful. We should have a thankful heart and we should, and that plays out, it plays out in a lot of different ways. It plays out in our worship. You know, listen, when you can sing a song, but if, what happens, right? When, you, when you're singing a song, if you're really pondering those, the lyrics to a song, and it's about Christ. It's, Christ it's, it's very Christological. It's about Christ, the, the beauty of Christ or what he's done or, um, you know, as we were just singing, behold him, right? We're beholding him, Jesus, son of God, Messiah, the lamb of God, the roaring lion. And it's telling us, oh, be still and behold him. Look to him. As we look to him, as we dwell on Christ, I mean, notice he says the word of Christ, uh, or look at, look at it again in verse um, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. But notice, how does, how does it dwell? Dwell doesn't just happen. Dwell doesn't just happen by happenstance. Like it doesn't, just, it doesn't just you read scripture and it just dwells in your heart. No, it takes effort, right? It takes an effort. It takes an intentionality to it. It takes a focus, a willingness to look and to bring intention to God's word. And we let it sink in our hearts. Um, as most of you know, our, our daughter um, has... Uh, autism and and has um, some uh, some just developmental delays, obviously from from orphanage and those kind of things. Uh, but what is one of the neatest things to see from her is, like you know, we can ask her like a color, and she may get it, she may not get it, those kind of things. But if you start playing a song, it is incredible to see how her mind takes in those words, and she can sing along with a song, or she like if if she hears. Amanda, we're riding the car and one of us just starts humming a tune or whatever. You tell, it's like all of a sudden it's there and she can just start singing along with that song. It's really, really remarkable uh, what the mind does with, specifically with music and how music is this gift that God gives us to let his word dwell in our hearts. You know, this is why, I mean, I would always encourage students, man, when they, when they were listening to some of the music that I would get to, would hear some of them listening to, you're like, man, you want that dwelling in your heart? Those lyrics? When you start, like, when you're like looking at those lyrics, you're like, what are they even talking about? That's, just, I mean, it's just vulgar to extreme, some of the music and everything they would listen to. And I'm going like, you're going to let that soak into your mind? I mean, like, I see what it does. I mean, I, I, mean, I mean, people always kind of make fun of me because I'm, I hum literally all the time. I got it from my dad. It's one of those curses, maybe. I don't know if it's a curse or not, but um, again, love you, dad. <laughs> uh, but, you know, like, I just, I hum. Like, I, I, all of a sudden, it's like I'm humming a tune or like I'll be singing these, the songs we've sung today over and over again the rest of the day. Like, I just, my mind will start singing it. And have you ever been around someone? Have you ever been around someone? And like, if you've been around them a lot and then all of a sudden, you like start singing the same song at the exact same time. Have you guys ever done that? You're like, no. Then I'm the weird one, I guess. It hap- Every once in a while it happens, you're like, it was weird. It might have been from Lion King, but still, it was weird. <laughs> but it was like, all of a sudden, you're just, you're just literally it, like, how does that happen? How's your brains in tune with each other? That's really weird. But there's, some, there's, powerful, there's a powerful effect of, of singing songs. But notice specifically what he's saying. Look at verse 15 again. Or 16, sorry. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. But notice what it's to do. God's word, as it dwells in your heart, as it sinks into your heart, as you meditate on it, as you dwell on it, think about it, contemplate it, pray over it. 
Notice what it does. You use it as a tool. Verse 16, teaching and admonishing one another. But how do you do this? How can, how can we do this? We do it with wisdom. Notice, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And there it is again, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. See, as you are thankful and as you dwell on the word of Christ, this is why I think this is what's so neat about this passage is in chapter one and two, he's dwelling on Christ. The focus is on him. And then this is what happens and flows from that. As you dwell on Christ, it leads you to a thankful heart and you start to dwell on it. You start to contemplate it. And then you want to sing it. You want to put it to music. I mean, this is what is so neat about David sitting out in a field watching sheep. You're like, what are you going to do? Count them? That doesn't sound fun. Let me sing a song. Let me write a song. I'm looking at the heavens. I mean, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. I mean, he starts just praising his name because he's just looking out and he's pondering. He's dwelling. He's dwelled on the word of God and it's led him to write songs about God. I think that's what's so impressive. I, I'm not a, I'm not a, I don't think I'm a great writer, but I mean, people who do it to music, it's really impressive. It's, neat. it's a gift, but it's a, and it's been a gift to the church. I mean, you think about the revival that happened under John Wesley. John Wesley was this, this I mean, great revivalist. There's this revival happening, and then there, but there's also his brother, Charles Wesley. And Charles Wesley, if you look at a hymn book, you'll see, I mean, there's like hundreds, it seems like, of hymns that are written by Charles Wesley. John Wesley was the pastor. Charles is writing these hymns. And, and those things have endured to this day because God's word had dwelled in his heart and he put it to song. And now we can allow it to dwell in our hearts as well. And then finally this, because I want to get to some of the practical considerations. The third one is this, verse 17. He sums it up really. And whatever you do. So not just as you're dwelling on the word of God, as you're just going about your day, as you're some, sing some songs and spiritual songs and with thankfulness in your heart. But in, in everything we do, we're to be thankful to God. In everything we do. He says in verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, it's one thing to even just be thankful. It's another to be thankful to God. Like, man, just so thankful that the sun came out today. It's like, that's great. I'm so thankful that it's not, you know, it's not snowing, or maybe you're like, I wish it was snowing, or I don't know. But, you know, whatever it is, like, it's easy to just be thankful, but here the focus is being thankful and it being directed to God. Thank you, God, for what you have done. Thank you that you woke me up today. Thank you that I have some breath in my lungs to sing. Thank you for these things. In whatever you're doing, be thankful. We do it with a thankful heart and we do it all to his glory and for his name's sake. And so really, I just want to wrap it up with these three, these three practical considerations. And I think, I hope this will be helpful because this, when you start reading the, the general epistles, there's a lot of content. There's a lot of teaching from Paul. He's teaching. But again, I said it was a lot of it is rooted and it, or not rooted necessarily, but it's saturated. It's a better word. Saturated with thankfulness. And I think there's some really practical things for us when it comes to thankfulness. And I want to look at these really quickly together. So first one is this, three practical considerations. Thankfulness is one of the best weapons. So weapons is the note there. Thankfulness is one of the best weapons in your fight against sin. Thankfulness is one of the best weapons in your fight against sin. I want us to turn a few of these passages together. So just right over, it's a couple pages here. So you're in Colossians. So just go back to Ephesians. Ephesians 5. This, I hope, I really do, I hope this will help you. Um, this 
has helped me in a lot of ways in my life. And God has continued to use thankfulness as a weapon for me to fight against sin. Like I said, I was not using it as a weapon on Friday. <laughs> Let me just say, it was not a weapon. I was avoiding it because I wanted to be a weapon <laughs> to my vehicle at the moment and to anything in my way. But here, so here he's writing, and he's actually going to talk about sexual immorality. He's going to, but it, and I want you to, this is such a powerful truth that can help you in your fight with sin. It is a weapon that needs to be used. You need to pull it out and use it often. Notice what he says, verse 3. I think this is really important. Verse three, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness. I mean, first of all, why is he throwing covetousness in when he's talking about sexual immorality and impurity? Well, again, covetousness, when you're talking about sexual immorality, I mean, you're looking on something and you're pursuing something that doesn't belong to you. It's not, it's not your right. It's going in the wrong direction. He says this, or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. It's like, it, 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 there's been books written on, not even a hint, is, I think the NIV puts it that way, not even a hint of sexual, sexual immorality should be named among you. It shouldn't even be a presence. There should be no dust of that around you. Notice what he says, verse four, he continues, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But notice what he says here, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Let there be thanksgiving, so he's saying, like, he could have, I mean, it's Paul. If he's, in, he's inspired by God, this is what he put, right? But he could have put, like, let there be love. Let there be purity. Let there be joy. He could have put a bunch of, probably could have put, could have put a bunch of different words there, and we'd be like, man, that's good. Yeah, that's right. I need to be more loving. And if I, if I love my neighbor, I'm not going to lust. If I, if, I, if I love God with all my heart, I'm not going to have greed. I'm going to love him. He could have put a lot of things there, but he put thankful put thankfulness there. So how can thankfulness be a weapon against, or in a, in a, a weapon that we use to fight against sin? Well, think about what, what greed is. What is greed? Greed is saying, you know, I don't think this is the right way of going for something. I need to have it right now. I want this. But what happens when you're thankful? You're satisfied. You're content. When you choose thanksgiving, when you choose to be thankful, you avoid going another direction. So for instance, when you're faced with temptation, when you're faced with a, a choice, what should, be, what should you do in that moment? You should be thankful. Thank you, God, for the spouse that you've given me. Thank you, God, for uh, the things that she or he does. Thank you for who they are. Thank you that you gave them. And just contemplate and think about that and start being thankful to God for that. For instance, when in that moment, again, I'm, I'm preaching literally not just to the choir, I'm preaching to the preacher. <laughs> like I'm preaching to myself here because again, I was not practicing this Friday. This is why God said preach on this because Eric, you need this. Because here's in that moment, I mean, thank you for a car. This is a battery. This is 30 minutes of my time. And then it wasn't even 30 minutes. Or when I'm frustrated with my daughter, God, thank you for giving her to me. Thank you for putting her in my family. Thank you for who she is. Start thinking about what, who I, what I enjoy about that person or what I enjoy about this thing and start being thankful for that. God, thank you for the life you've given me compared to if I could look at other lives or other things that are going on in people's lives. I should be thankful. It is in that it can become a weapon in your fight. I, I think this is really an extraordinary thought when you think here he's saying don't but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. Shouldn't be a hint of this among you. He's like, 
Don't be sexually immoral, but rather be thankful. That is a weapon in your fight against sin. So when you're you're tempted, see if you can reorient yourself around a thankful heart. See if you can focus on what God has done for you, what God is continuing to do for you, or that person in your life that God has given you. Be thankful and let that be a weapon in your fight against sin. Also, think about this. We don't even have to look at it because I think I have it memorized. And maybe someone else has it memorized in this room too. But Philippians 4, 6 and 7, it says, Don't be anxious, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, make your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, there it is again, the peace of God. He gives us this peace. And we do it with what? A thankful heart, with thanksgiving. See how that is a weapon against anxiety. It's a weapon that you can use against Sin and temptation against greed and covetousness of sexual immorality. You can use this in a fight against that through thanksgiving. You can also use it in a fight of anxiety and there's stress and fear and frustration. We do it with a thankful heart. We fight those things. um, And they're a great weapon for our fight against sin. Second practical consideration is this. Thankfulness is a gateway to joy. Thankfulness is a gateway to joy. Like I said again, Friday, Friday was, there was no joy. You couldn't have smelled. There, wasn't, there was no joy near me, anywhere close to me. All you could just look at was anger that day. Um, and just, just frustration. But thankfulness is a gateway to joy. Look at Psalm 126. I really like this psalm. It's, it's, it's a short one. Um, psalm 126. <clears throat> Listen to what the, the psalmist, this was a psalm that the, the people of Israel would sing. Uh, and they, they wrote this and put it to song. Again, we're talking about uh, uh, singing spiritual songs and letting Christ's word dwell in our hearts. This is a song they sang, a song of ascents. As they're ascending, when they would come and ascend. So the song of ascents are, are when the people of Israel are, are doing a journey and they're going to the festivals and they're coming to Jerusalem. The, the ascent was like, okay, Jerusalem's sitting kind of on this mount. And so, and then there's the temple mount. And so as they're going up, they're looking on to Zion and they're looking up and they would sing these songs on their traveling journeys up to Jerusalem. And so when the Lord knows this, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. And dream good dreams, not nightmares. <laughs> we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. And then they continue their prayer and they say, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed of sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. You see, he had restored them. They were in exile, and now they were getting to come home again. They were going back to Zion. God had restored their fortunes, what had been desolated and destroyed through the Babylonian exile and then the Assyrian exile. And as they they return back to their land, they're joyful and they're thankful because they recognize what they missed. If you, if you go back to the Old Testament, there's other psalms we could look at. Psalm, I think it's 95, I believe. Psalm 95, I think I'm pretty sure it's 95. 95, oh, let us, oh, let, oh, yeah, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. You see the connection of thankfulness and joy. But note, if you keep 
reading that, you, you, you start to remember the years where they loathed. And, and, and verse, uh, what is it? Verse, verse, verse seven, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. I mean, there's a song to that, right? I think some of us have probably sung it before. But notice this. He says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah. Do you remember what happened at Meribah? That's where God was providing them water out of the rock, but they were getting angry and they were frustrated with God. They weren't thankful for what God was providing them. Every day, he was giving them what they needed. He was leading them and they started grumbling and complaining. And Moses in front of the people got angry as well. And he strikes the rock, didn't do what he was supposed to do. And then a whole generation of people weren't allowed to go into um, the promised land. See, they weren't thankful. And it led to... It didn't lead to a gateway of joy. It led to frustration, exile. It led to loneliness and it led to disappointment. But when we're thankful, it leads, it's a gateway. It leads us to joy. And finally is this, is thank, thankfulness is a great barometer. So thankfulness is a great barometer of a heart transformed by the gospel. Thankfulness is a great barometer of a heart transformed by the gospel. Uh, several of us have been reading through the book of Luke. And in Luke 17 is this interesting story. And, and I think for the first time, this really stood out to me in this way. Because, you know, this is like a child's, this is the, the, the passage you would use to teach your kids about thankfulness, you know, um, here. But in Luke 17, verse 11, uh, it says this, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. I mean, in a miracle, Jesus says, I'm going to heal you. And he heals all ten people. And it says, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. There he goes thankfulness. Now he was a Samaritan. Just a little side note there. And then Jesus answered, we're not 10 cleansed. We're all, where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Think about it. 10 were healed that day, but only one was transformed. Only one sin was forgiven. And yeah, they all experienced healing, physical healing that day. But only one. And, it, and it's revealed in his heart. God had given him a miracle. He had changed them from death, leprosy looking like death, to now clean again and be able to be back into society again. And nine of them, they go. And, but then only one returns back to him to give thanks and to praise God. And that's the only one that we know that is said, your sins are forgiven. You see, a thankful heart is a great barometer of a heart that's been transformed by the gospel. So I'm going to ask you, how's your heart? How much thanksgiving is in your heart? I remember when I first started dating Amanda and I was, uh, we, would go, we went out to eat uh, a couple times um, early on with the Trine family. And I remember being, uh, after the meal, everyone would be like, thanks, Dad, thanks, Dad. Like, all of it is like, it's like in sequence. Still to this day, that's what they do. You just, but you hear in their heart. And like in my home, I was like, there was like nothing. Like, like I mean, it, it wasn't like, it wasn't that we weren't thankful. It was just, it wasn't a thing. But then it was quickly when I, when I was started dating Amanda, that's what I would hear. It was my, hey, th- and it was just, 
And for me, it was like eye-opening. Like, like, yeah, you'd probably, it'd probably be good to express thanks to people when they pay for something or when they do something kind to you. Because what it does, it's a barometer. It shows a heart that is actually thankful. Uh, when we're thankful, it shows us, hey, man, is my heart transformed? Because here's what happens. It's what God has done for you, for your behalf, in His death and resurrection. And if that transforms your life, it leads you to a life of thanksgiving. So I, I hope these, these uh, really these practical considerations really, really help you. Let thankfulness be one of your best weapons in your fight against sin. And, and recognize that, I mean, listen, when you're thankful, it is a gateway to actually experiencing joy, not frustration. And then th- also thankfulness is a great barometer of a heart transformed by the gospel. All right, well, let me, let me pray as we, as we close. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are, what you've done. We thank you that you are our rock, our redeemer. God, may we never become so complacent to the gospel, so complacent, complacent to what you have done that it would lead us to frustration and anger uh, towards you. God, forgive me of my own heart that sometimes is just isn't thankful. Sometimes I just find myself so frustrated or in disappointment or greedy. Uh, Father, forgive, forgive me. Continue to purify my heart. I do a work in each of us. Help us to be people who are more thankful that we would uh, experience joy and that we'd experience that through this peace that comes from you and that we would allow it to rule in our hearts and that we'll be thankful in doing so. And so help us, God, and help us in all these things. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.